Black Widow, Alone Against the Tide, and Genesis Noir. This is Staying In. So I had something that I had not had for 20 years or so, and it was the perfect thing to have on a hot summer's day. I just Mm -hmm. walked five miles round a hill on a footpath which clearly hadn't been walked in some time because at some point it was above my head. What? The footpath was above your uh, head? The, um, the, uh, the ferns and the brambles and stuff was all above oh, my head. Oh, right, and I had okay. to carve a path through this. Can we take three guesses, one each, as to what it is that you've not had for a nice hot summer's day yeah. in the last 20 years? Can we, can we take a guess? Because I'm going to yeah. go first and I'm going to say it's a zap. Pete's in the right ballpark. Ooh. Straight out the gate. Mm. Can we can we ask supplementary questions? Of course you can. We're making the because, rules up as we go along. Yeah. Although Pete's already locked his answer in, so Yeah. <laughs> did you did you buy this thing at your destination that you're currently that you that you were at, or did you drive somewhere after this walk and then buy this thing? So I walked back to the car and there's like a little tea shop there that sells all manner of different things. Yeah. And I bought it from there and then I went and sat on a rock took my shoes and socks off and stuck my feet in the water and I ate one of these. All right, okay. You've, you've balled your fist uh, when you were, when you said eight. So that yeah. means that like it's a... It, hmm. I'm thinking pan... No, um, mini milk. Okay, Sam's gone for mini milk. See, I'm, I'm, I'm between two, you see. I'm, I'm, part of me think, is thinking Calippo, but I feel like you'd have had a Calippo. You'd have had a Calippo then. So I'm, yeah, I'm instead yeah, yeah. going to go with a fab. Oh, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. It was a Calippo. Oh, no. <gasps> oh, yeah. I'm more shocked. I'm really actually quite shocked that you've not had a Calippo in two decades. I, I know. I was trying to work it out, and it has been a while because... Because I write down all of the food that I eat, and I've been going back through the files. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the archives, the annals, and it was. It, I was thinking, oh my gosh, why have I not continued with this? Like yeah. even just outside the summer, because they're delicious. Oh my word, it was incredible. Like you know, even if even if you don't feel in the mood for waiting for an ice lolly, you can kind of crush it on the outside, and you've got a nice, nice thing, chilled cool. squash at the end. Yeah, you can just pour into your mouth. It was honestly, it was phenomenal. Like it was about thirty-two degrees where I was. Yeah, the Calippo was the perfect antidote. What flavour of Calippo did you? Got to be orange. Got to be the orange. What other flavours are there of Calippo? Incidentally, is there a lemon? There used to be a lemon. I have not seen the lemon in the wild for a long time. Yeah, just amongst the bushes. I know that. I know Ribena did one, or they still do one, don't they? Here we go: orange, strawberry, and tropical fruit. Oh, not a strawberry. They've been known to sell lemon, raspberry pineapple, lemon minis, cola, bubblegum, raspberry pineapple millies, multipack. Ooh, I would have I would have loved a Calippo bubblegum. I'm bubblegum's a huge thing for me. And a thing called Calippo shots. <gasps> Calippo shots? I'd completely forgotten about those. What? Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, they came in a little pot, like little just like ball bearings of ice. Yeah. Back when... It's not just an ice cube. No, well, yes, basically. Back when we didn't 
give a toss about the planet and we were just making everything out of plastic all of the time, you used to be able to get these um, little Calippo packs made almost entirely of plastic. And they basically just crushed up Calippo but made them into little small balls. And then you would, like, shot them, essentially. Yeah. Oh, they were so good. And I bet you, you know, in 5,000 years' time when the aliens come down and start excavating, they'll find just a layer of them at some point in the Earth's crust. And be like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's what did it. That was the Clipper Shots generation. <laughs> so, should we, should we um, finish off the... Um, what, what was that competition called, Peter? The recent football competition that, that's just been... Well, not just been. Uh, the European Football Cup 2021. No, no. Close, but wrong on all fronts, except for European. So it's been a bit of a saga through the last two or three episodes. There's been ruin scores. There's been um, shock revelations. There's been the, the tension of what would happen on the final. And we all know what's happened on the final. Um, and unfortunately, we've all had to wade through <laughs> England's murky side again but on the upside chris and i had a lovely time in the cinema and per my um sort of thoughts about seat allocation yep we were in there completely on our own (laughs) (laughs) right can i just find out because it has been legitimately plaguing my thoughts did you watch it in the cinema did you watch the game in the cinema at all did you have your phone on no okay 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 because that really got me worried he had the radio on in the corner (laughs) (laughs) there was no picture in picture no no there wasn't um i turned off all notifications good um it was just me and chris Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean um, the moment we got in there chris didn't like the seats that i picked out and chose some others for himself well in for a penny in for a pound we're on our own surely <laughs> sam was like oh do you reckon people will mind it's like well who who's, who's going to complain <laughs> yeah but you know the minute you change seats even though it's complete it's like when you pick an empty seat on a train the minute someone comes over and goes um i'm all i think you'll find that i was fb <laughs> that's me though that's the thing that is always me i'm always the person who has to go you're sitting in my seat <laughs> and I am so aggressive about it. Even the though there's well. loads of empty seats around. Even though there's empty... No, oh, Dan, especially when there's loads of empty <laughs> seats around. Where there's loads of empty seats around, there's no notification to state beforehand that this seat was reserved. Pete still gets angry at them. Where does it end, Dan? I go and sit in somebody else's seat. They come over and say, you're sat in my seat. And then I look like an idiot because I've sat down in somebody else's when I've already got pre-booked tickets. And it's all because this this one person. I will not stand for it. <laughs> well, no, you're sitting. <laughs> you might have to stand. Yeah. All right, so what did you what did you watch? What did, it was a Marvel movie, wasn't it? We went to go and see Black Widow, which ah. is the brand new, much delayed uh, movie from, from Marvel. And... I mean, obviously, this is all going to be tainted by the fact that it's the first time I've been, I've been to the cinema since February of last of last year. But it was re- it was really good to 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 be back, and it was it was still missing the communal aspect of it. Mm. 
I tried my best. <laughs> just sat around all the seats. Chris just moved to different, made noises from different yeah. seats the entire movie. <laughs> it was missing that, but the, the sound and the, the picture mm. and the, you know, the full force of an image hitting you at 100 miles an hour, like that was there in spades. And Black Widow was probably the perfect movie to sort of re-enter that cinema experience with I think the only other movie if I had to pick like the movie to go and see after being away from the cinema for a year it'd probably be something like Mad Max Fury Road right um but this was like a, a very good sort of second option in terms of like wanting that you know this has to be seen on a big screen mm. kind of thing the only thing I'd like to have seen Mitchell's versus the machines I think on a on a big screen oh that'd be fantastic so this has been much delayed, and this sees Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson, in it's not a um, a prequel of sorts, but it's kind of like a film that takes place within the previous um, like Marvel timeline. So I think it's after is it after Winter Soldier Civil or is it after, yeah. Civil, it's after Civil War? It's after Civil War. Um, so I guess it is a little bit of a prequel of sorts, but I think what really sort of makes this film special is how it symbolizes the kind of the arc that Black Widow has gone on and not necessarily as a character but as a um, a symbol and how that symbol has been perceived throughout the MCU where she started as a literal object in Iron Man 2 you know like actually like referred to as an object and they're pretty much just a look at some ass to now having her own film where they explore a lot of um a lot of pretty dark um and very sort of deep themes um around, that that surround this character you know this character that was kind of like robbed of her childhood and literally almost like robbed of her her sort of womanhood um as well and and forced to become this assassin and finally it kind of has brought that character a lot more into the into the into the foreground and this is kind of like the, the the crowning moment of that sort of the perception of that arc and and the job that the MCU have done in kind of like finally positioning female characters you know on par with the male characters and giving them real stories and uh real histories and they're not just there to to look good mm. and it's a very good film. I think I think I've got definitely problems with it, but I think that you know, it there were there were times that, you know, and I think this is always a sign of a good of a good film if there's the Chris turn. If there's a, if if I turn to Chris and and kind of like look at him in disbelief, then I know that like there is yeah. like good stuff happening on the yeah. screen. We've not done that since John Wick, have we, Sam? Oh yeah, but that was that was that was the Chris turn and the slow um, recline a seat back in its upright position. That was incredible. So what kind of a genre of movie is it? Because it doesn't strike me from any, anything I've seen about it, like that sort of classic superhero movie, like, you know, some of the early Avengers movies or even some of the Iron Man stuff. Like, it strikes me as slightly different, but obviously it's still still a superhero character. So what kind of a genre is it actually in? It's really interesting that when this was being developed, it was mooted as something that would be more reminiscent of a spy film. And mm-hmm. there are echoes of that here. I don't think it fully lands as a as a complete 
spy film i think there's a lot of action in this the action is by the way is really really good really visceral yeah. uh the last time i saw action quite like this was probably fallout mission, mission impossible fallout mm. it's it's extremely visceral and there's not that kind of cloak and dagger that one would necessarily expect say in a in a spy film it's 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 a it's a kind of a an action thriller i would probably describe it as that would probably be the best way to typify this and and what i what i really really like is that a lot of people were assuming it would be about budapest because that kept coming up in previous bits of dialogue with her and hawkeye and maybe there'd be something about that being realized but actually budapest is a is is integral but it's a kind of a, a flash in the pan thing this is about something else entirely and what it does really really well is introduce a whole cast of characters that aren't necessarily from the mcu as we know it they're those that are surround natasha and natasha is it's generally been a very private individual a because that's the nature of her character and b as sam has alluded to they've just not given her a platform to actually have a much of a character really scarlett johansson has had to really work very very hard and i've always felt very i've always had extremely mixed feelings about what the that that character's arc particularly into endgame i can understand both sides of that decision but i've always felt slightly cheated by the fact that she had she never had a film prior to that and for me, there'll be two types of people in the world that come out of this this film, and it'll be about how they rewatch the Marvel Cinematic Universe and where this mm-hmm. fits in that. Because you can watch this after Civil War, and you'll get a very interesting kind of trajectory going into the events of Infinity War and Endgame, or you can watch it now. And for me, I, I it, this this doesn't feel like a Phase Four film. This feels like a film that is just too late to some yeah. degree. I'm glad we've got it. But I, at the same time, I do feel a little bit robbed that we haven't had it before. I almost wish that having seen this, that they released more films after Civil War, detailing a lot more of what the characters got up to within that time and and generally what they were dealing with, where there was such unity within the within this sort of core group and then suddenly there was this division. And I know that in the original comic book run of Civil War, like that was something that was explored, like almost to its detriment. Um, oh, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, did you read Civil War? Yeah, I read it secretly, Pete. Every time it stays yours. <laughs> and like, it's it's one thing that I really loved about Black Widow is that it really investigates like part of Natasha Romanov's internal struggle is is dealing with generally family units that she's that 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 she's she's been in. Like in the the, store, the sort of start of the movie sort of presents her in one sort of family unit and then moving from like to other sort of family and different sort of paternal and maternal sort of influences on her life. And that's why I think that the break that happens in Civil War like impacts her the most because this is a character who's always been robbed of her family. She's all and the chance to even have a family of her own. So I feel like that was such an interesting thread to explore that I really would have loved to see like more of the characters um, developed in this way, especially after such a rift that was that was Civil War. I feel like if this film had come out, Christ, when was like six years ago? Something like that? I think it was 2016, I think. Yeah, Civil War was. I feel like if this film had come out then, I feel I, I think it probably would have 
um, really, really been exceedingly timely. But even without that, it's, it's nice that, as Chris was saying, that if you want to, you can put this where it where it should be in that timeline. But, I mean, I've actually watched, like, earlier this week, um, I watched Endgame um, again. And one of the things that I actually took from it, more so than the kind of previous times I'd seen it, was the kind of the arc of Natasha in that and how she reaches a point... And obviously, I've not I've not seen Black Widow, but I've seen the 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 rest of the films and seen her out play it. And in Endgame, she does find herself perhaps contentment isn't the right word, but she finds a role for herself where she is responsible and she she knows her place and she has a kind of her own mission that she's dedicated towards. So seeing how that all plays out, finding her in the, in that place, and then seeing how the rest of the film plays out. You say you could watch it after Civil War. How does it feel going straight following Endgame back into her story in that way? Does it does it jar at all, or does does it still work kind of in that sense? Because obviously, it does strike me that it would make more sense, as you say, to follow Civil War. But does it work kind of as a as a follow on after Endgame? Uh, yes, it does. That uh, there's there's some there's a little literal nod in there, which I'm not going to talk about. That that kind of links between this film and infinity war um if anything uh what i take away from it now is that i really can see how she, where she how she views the avengers as a family and mm-hmm. and what this film offers actually is the opportunity for us to see another family and somebody who's incredibly private we realize they have a very interesting kind of backstory and if anything, it's going to make that moment in Endgame even more yeah. poignant, I think, as a consequence, because we'll know then what she has kind of lived through, um, really. And the, the film does a very, very good job of, in one film, which, you know, as Sam's alluded to, a lot of the other characters in the Avengers have had several films, like three films, for example, um, all of them apart from the Hulk, pretty much. Uh, Hawkeye's got his own TV series coming up, a bit like Loki. He's going to have like six hours time. Can't wait for that. Devoted to that. But whereas Natasha's had just one film and bit parts mm. um, in the other films, the, the director does a very good job of giving us that now, that sense of the now in the moment of an action thriller, which is at a fast pace, but also paying reference and paying homage to what came before. Um, really there's an incredible opening sequence before we get to the titles which is just brilliant Mm -hmm. Uh, absolutely brilliant and Florence Pugh is incredible like for those who've seen like Midsummer, for example so good uh, which is a phenomenal film which I watched fun fact um, after I left Sam Sam and his partners New Year's Eve I went home (laughs) and watched that film Uh, it's a great way to bring in the New Year it's a great I love the director though it's a great film and uh, Florence Pugh's standout in this film really and it's really interesting a lot of people are viewing her as the kind of replacement to Natasha which I have kind of mixed feelings about a I think she's an interesting character in her own right and her arc is going to be a really interesting one going forwards yeah the the kind of the rapport between her and Scarlett Johansson is fantastic really and it's really the kind of like the major plus of this film for me even aside from the excellent action that has just been brilliant to kind of watch the chemistry there. It's just fizzing. Chris, your uh, your RPG running has been getting me back into the RPG playing mood. 
okay what are you, are you are you hanging out with other people Pete? what's what's all this no it just uh, doing rpgs regularly because we had a bit of a break of doing rpgs because i was running basic fantasy bit of a break you've been running um blades in the dark and uh i've realized with rpgs with war games with miniature painting all that sort of stuff if you don't keep it up, if you don't do something regularly, if you don't have like a support group, also known as enablers, <laughs> a um, support group. Uh, uh, if you don't have the people to enable you to get obsessed mm. with these things, then right. the desire to actually be a part of those and run those things yourself kind of goes away a, a little bit, I've, I've realised. Um, so it's been really nice to kind of, it's given me the buzz again to go and like read RPG, like just read RPG books and, and go on Kickstarter and be like, oh, I'll... I'll back one or two little things over here. But also, it's got me back in the mood of playing solo RPGs. Ah. Oh. So what was the last one you played? The last the last one I played was Alone Against the Dark. Oh my gosh, that All was right. that was the one where you had to like map out days and it was very yeah, very fiddly. Yeah, like I had to make there was a little puzzle that you had to yeah. print out and cut out and do little things. Oh very interesting, gosh. very cool little game. Enjoyed that a lot actually. Well, I I liked it so much. I went and uh, I went and got a review copy of Alone Against the Tide, which if right okay, so is this is this the, is this the same franchise in inverted commas as Alone Against the yeah. Dark? Yeah, so right. It's, yeah, it's Cthulhu. exactly that. Yeah, it's, so it's Call of Cthulhu. So it's um, from a publisher called Chaosium, uh, who are the folks who have made Call of Cthulhu since the seventies. Um, oh, and God. and Call of Cthulhu's not really changed a huge amount. I mean, it's definitely changed from first to seventh edition, which is the one that we're on at the moment. Uh, but it's not changed massively to the point of, like, you could literally take a first edition adventure and play it with seventh edition without too many changes or anything like that. So uh, they do what they call solitaire adventures. And these are, some people would probably call them game books. So... Things like sorcery, things like mm, okay. uh, fighting awesome. fantasy, that kind of stuff. So choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. Um, and um, yeah, it's very much in the Alone Against the style. It's a little bit more like Alone Against the Flames, which is the... Uh, it was available separately. It's now in the introductory box set uh, that you can get hold of, um, which uh, I'll probably be sending one of your ways at, at some point, uh, in that it is... Uh, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it because um, that one is a little bit more, and and Alone Against the Tide is a little bit like this as well. A bit more about introducing people to playing Call of Cthulhu itself. So, Alone Against the Flames, you don't need any of the core books. You don't need any of that stuff. You just need Alone Against the Flames, and it will just walk you through every single element. It'll just tell you how to play the game, the the you know the RPG system, like percentile dice and uh, what you know different systems involved and all that kind of stuff um alone against the tide is kind of a halfway house between alone against the flames and alone against the dark where dark is brutal and like you are really like taking notes and uh figuring out like what time it is and all this sort of stuff there's a lot of management admin stuff in that one which is is, is pretty pretty fun but it's sort of it, it's not the easiest way in Alone Against the Tide is uh, much more introductory. So it, it has got a little bit of that brutalness in that it does fall into the trap every once in a while of do you want to pay, turn to page 11 or turn to page you know 27, uh, depending on which choice you want to do, and then you, you've picked the wrong one and then you're dead, which happens once or twice. Um, 
But in all honesty, that is kind of in keeping with the Call of, the Call of Cthulhu feeling. It's not meant to be... You're meant to be kind of like always thinking, oh God, I'm going to die soon. They are meant to kind of be like that. But it does also point you to different sections. Each entry will point you to a different section that will say things like, oh, this is the, this is the second entry in the thing. Uh, you're going to create a character now. So it'll then run you through how to create a character in the adventure itself. And it'll say, go to this page of the seventh edition book or the starter set. It'll tell you exactly how to do this stuff. And you go, okay, I do that. And then you come back to the book and you continue your adventure. So I want I want to imagine how to kind of understand what this game is kind of like. I, For me, when I'm playing a solitaire game, I think how I'm playing it... Mm really sums up what kind of solitaire game yep. that I'm playing. Yeah. So is so for me, so if I'm just playing Railroad Inc. on my own, there's a cup of tea, bit of music on in the background, I'm just sitting at the table, I'm rolling some dice, mm. fair enough. But if I'm playing Thousand Year Vampire, I'm sitting at a desk, I've got a notepad, I've got, you know, pens, I've got, you know, I'm 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 zoned in, I'm in another room, there's no distractions going on. Mm. So what's the kind of setting that you play Alone Against the Tide in? Well, I went to the bedroom. <laughs> oh. 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 And so I the way I think about horror is actually quite the kind of horror I like is actually quite cozy. Like I like the kind of horror that that sort of sits with you and lingers with you. And actually the cozy kind is, 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 is it will, you know, you kind of want to like sit and be comfortable so you can, you can think about it. I don't like the shock horror. I don't like that kind of stuff. Um, okay. So I was in bed. Dread. I was on, on the bed, on, on the top of the bed because it was two up. Uh, it wasn't in the bed. Um, I had a dice tray. I had my uh, percentile dice and a couple of D6s. Um, so percentile dice, for those that don't know, are um, 10, 2, 10-sided dice, uh, one with zero, zero, zero through nine, zero, 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 one, zero, two, zero, et cetera, and one with zero, one, zero, two, zero, three, zero, four. Uh, and then from that combination of numbers, you end up with the percentile out of 100. I had that, I had, and I had a dice tray. I had the copy of Call of Cthulhu 7th edition next to me in the bed uh, uh, on the top of the bed I had headphones on a good pair of headphones on listening to a very interesting mix of the Call of Cthulhu official soundtrack for the latest video game Silent Hill uh just some weird like sort of I imagine it's made in you know a Scandinavian country when it, where it's dark all of the time, that kind of soundtrack, you know, like that haunting, oh yeah, that dim lights, and then just sit down and just focus for. It took me about three hours um, to to play through. Wow. Um, I was comfortable. I was by myself. I was making little notes with my pencil. I was making little rolls. I was thinking about each sentence as as it was kind of uh, you know. Some of the sentences in this thing, like some of the writing in this thing is just like absolutely horrible. Like, you know, really well written, but like, uh, so there are a bunch of deaths, as you, would, as you would imagine. And some of the descriptions of the deaths aren't gory, but they are gruesome. Like, you, you just sit there and you're like, 
just the absolute nature of them. I, w I won't spoil this one, um, but uh, in another one, and, and the writing is equally good in this one, there's another one where the, the ending, the death, they just make you keep rolling and you just keep losing your sanity and you just keep losing it and you just keep rolling and you keep losing your sanity. And with each loss of sanity, the description gets worse and worse and worse. And it is just this horrible sense of dread. And that's definitely in Alone Against the Tide. Uh, just three things, Pete. Uh, yes, just the three. Yeah. Just firstly, I, I think you missed a trick. A lead against the tide should really be played in the buff. Secondly, yeah, true. <laughs> I, we haven't got time to do this today. It's, it's a podcast in itself. But I really am interested in how you, you define the word cozy as being synonymous <laughs> with psychological horror. <laughs> yeah, I, because because there is something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, there, there is something is... reassuring about it. I yeah. kind of think about it in the same way as like murder podcasts. Yeah, a lot of people find a lot of comfort in murder podcasts because it's exploring the very dark parts of society. It's, it's, it's the same comfort that I get that I think Dan might get when him and I look at descriptions of horror movies on Wikipedia. I was about to bring that up because we've talked before about we don't like horror movies, so what we do is read the plots and it makes us happy. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, that's horrible, but I can immediately just turn it off. So, so why would you want to play a game that makes you feel uneasy? Um, so I do play video games. So video games I quite like that make me feel uneasy. I don't like movies that like it uh, that do it, but I do like video games that do it. So Silent Hill mm -hmm. is a classic example of that. I love Silent Hill series. Uh, well, no, sorry. I love the Silent Hill series, the four that exist. So um, uh, <laughs> the but but yeah, I mean, like I definitely get that kind of creeping sense of uneasiness from this book. Yeah, and obviously listening to a good soundtrack helps as well. Okay, so the third thing I was going to ask, and this will this kind of follows up to Sam's question, was because Alone Against was Alone Against the Dark is quite hardcore in the sense oh, yeah. of of the kind of the amount of note taking. I saw somebody review this particular game, and they mm. showed me, not me personally, they showed <laughs> the kind of the camera their notes, and it's just one side of A4. Oh, all yeah. the notes they took in a single yep. campaign. It's just like one sentence and it really is literally just to mark your page as a little record. Yep, that's um, exactly So you can kind of leave it. You could, you know, you could play it all in one go, but from what I understand, you, you can walk away and come back a little bit like a thousand-year-old vampire. You absolutely Sam. could. You absolutely could. I, I think you would miss out. I think, I think doing it in one go is a really all-absorbing way of doing it. Like if you have the privilege of time to do that, like, if you can, I think that's a great way of doing it. Get cosy, get dim lighting, get that mood set and just go for it. It is really, really great. But one of the things with RPGs that I think they inherited from war games is the easiest way of learning them was somebody showing you how to do it. Yeah. Same with Magic the Gathering, right? We always talk about Magic the Gathering. Sure, like, yeah. the easiest way to doing that is, is that. Um, but this almost is that. So, so, sure, Call of Cthulhu, the actual proper... In, in inverted commas, uh, tabletop RPG is not a, a, a choose-your-own-adventure path. That's not how it how it's run. But by reading these and playing through it and playing a really, really cool three-hour-long experience about basically about a small island uh, area that is has a professor on it that was looking at things that maybe he shouldn't have been, by going through this adventure, I now feel way more confident about running Call of Cthulhu. Like... I come out of this and I'm like, yeah, I could run this. I could, I could run an adventure now for Chris. I could absolutely do a one-on-one. -on -one. Just sat at the end of my bed. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. You just have to be there in the bedroom. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you want to get freaked out, um, you can. Yeah, 
yeah i've always on. wanted to get cozy with you pete in my bedroom yeah well you know what if you wanted to do that that's absolutely fine what night actually that'd be a nice way of uh playing it wouldn't it like 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 go go uh top to bottoms and just like like <laughs> on a sleepover yeah. slumber just play an yeah. rpg that'd be quite fun well pete and uh, pete you and i are about to spend a couple of nights in the same hotel we are so do you want me to uh run a an adventure or is this some other sort of is this a proposition i can't work out yeah, where we I'm are i'm suddenly now. quite uncomfortable here yeah i mean i'm not uncomfortable i'm quite open to the idea but I'm just, yeah, no, yeah, yeah sam I'd, sam I'd quite... sam are you, are you sam are you awake no <laughs> and you just hear the sound of dice being rolled in the dark <laughs> sat in the hallway <laughs> so yeah i think it's a, a really good adventure um i believe it's a reprint of uh, uh, of an adventure that came out of a fair number of years ago very very good very nice so i've played all of those now except for alone against the frost that's the that's the last oh. one that that's for the weekend away isn't yeah, it yeah it is yeah <laughs> it's, it's your turn tonight dan yeah oh dear <laughs> we got we got sent uh, a question well they didn't they didn't send it they were just asked just a question okay um, well they sent it Basically, didn't so they? I've got it to hand here actually. So we thanks, Chris. We were sent a lovely question by Damien Faulkner on our Instagram. Okay, uh, one of the many means in which you can contact us. Uh, if you go to our website, you'll find all the other info for all the various different social medias. Pete's mobile's up there as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My pager, um, and and we were often like reply to these questions often the on these these very same kind of social media feeds but this was quite a nice question that we thought we and i said to uh damien that we should we'd we talk about this on the pod and the question is namely this so got a nintendo switch quote marks for my kids after yeah. hearing you all talking about it so much on your podcast oh. must have switch games question mark <laughs> Oh, Dan, do you want to go and make yourself a cup of tea? Yeah, yeah you <laughs> may be here a while. Well, hang on. I think Dan, Dan, Dan can actually have uh, a say in this because the, the beautiful thing about the Switch, as I've grown to love it, is a lot of the titles are available on other consoles. In fact, the stuff that's on the Switch you can't get elsewhere, but there are some good titles that are straddle several consoles. Yeah, but I feel like the especially... Uh, being a father as well, the, the handy thing about the Switch is the portability, which I do think affects gameplay in mm. some regards but but yes you are right chris mm. right where to begin first of all let's start with the exclusives namely nintendo right like i'd like to say you can't go wrong but i feel like it's you can difficult to go wrong not but, impossible but difficult but i feel like you only need one or two especially because the price point doesn't tend to waver yeah like don't wait for a sale it's not I mean, don't wait for a sale that you know nintendo will keep those prices high i think super mario odyssey is one of the best platform games i've played in a long long Full long, agree. long 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 time yep, yep. and i think it's definitely worth the experience on switch mm-hmm. and i'd always ski for mario kart 8 because i think especially if you've got kids that party experience, that challenge of gameplay is just if you had it if you had it and all the DLC on the Wii U, you might be able to skip it, but honestly, it's so good on Switch. It's so yeah. good on Switch. So I think that's where I would land like <sighs> Breath of the Wild, um, I really bounced off of. I still played it for 15 hours, but I I, I really sort of I think I think that you know if that's the game f- 
for you. I just, for me, Mario Odyssey was just a perfect game in terms of mm. how it, like, these wonderful little piecemeal adventures. Mm. The sense of rewarding discovery and no weapon degradation were just, you know, the best bits of, of, of that game. Those those would be the, the, the sort of the Nintendo core exclusives that I would definitely recommend to, to get going with. Yes. Can, can I say one? Mm-hmm. Because I haven't played many, not having a Switch and all. But before someone else takes it, and this means I can like contribute to the conversation, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say a game, one of the best co-op games I've ever played, and we all played together, which is Heave Ho, yeah. which was oh, yes. absolutely mm-hmm. yep, incredible. That was great. So much fun. That was very good. And I'd add to that Towerfall. Oh, yeah. Heave Ho and Towerfall. Which we played in your stag, Sam. Yeah. I would add to the exclusives. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've not played one before, go and get Animal Crossing because it is really... It's unlike any other game except all the other Animal Crossings. Um, if you have played it before and you loved Animal Crossing, do go and get it. Uh, if you bounce off it, just uh, skip it. It's not for you. But yeah, I, I would say Animal Crossing is a good shout as well. Oh, just one other exclusive. Uh, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. That's a good game. Uh, X- XCOM, but faster and more agile, I would say. Yeah, and then it's regularly on sale. You can pick it up. You can pick it up quite Quite, yep. quite cheaply as well. I mean, yeah, all of those are really, really good. Another game that I think that, again, going into this like Heave Ho, uh, Towerfall sort of party game-esque experience, yeah. which I think the Switch deals with really, really well. Another game I'd add for that is Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Because one thing that the Switch does really well with this is usually when you're playing Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, which essentially is a game where someone is looking at a bomb on a monitor... And then everyone else, either in the room or connected via uh, sort of voice chat, is looking at a manual and they have to tell you, based on your descriptions of the bomb, how to defuse it. That's usually pretty tricky if you're on a a PlayStation or an Xbox or on a PC because of where the monitor might be situated in your house. Not a problem on the Switch. You can take it on the go. Print out the manuals. You've got a party game in your pocket. And that is another example of what of what you know the switch does the switch does really well it's an interesting point because damien hasn't specified i think he has got like a, a full switch rather than what i've got which is a switch light which actually affects obviously mm. the type of games i play i don't tend to play quite intense uh action or platformers on it i tend to play much more cerebral indie titles just because the nature of it really the pacing of it so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna reel off a few um steam steam world heist i love because it's that kind of you know take it in turns um type of play steam world steam world dig 2 yeah i'd also uh recommend untitled goose game works really really well handheld um gris i love Return of the Oberdin is one of my top 10 games of all time. That's phenomenal if you like your detective stuff. Tangle Tower is also a really good, fun uh, detective game. Oxenfree. Oh, I love Oxenfree. Sequel coming out this year, apparently. Sayonara Wild Hearts, uh, which I've not talked about yet on the pod. At some point, I will do. It's just gorgeous. Superliminal, which we spoke about in a previous pod. Kentucky Route Zero. I love this on the Switch handheld. I, I treat it as a novel to take to bed with, and it gave me the most incredible dreams. And probably 
Ape Out, which Sam introduced me to. That is a really nice, quick fix of a game. If you don't want to kind of invest yourself in something quite long-winded, you can just jump into it arcade style and jump back out of it, really. So I'll focus on a couple of ones that are a little bit slightly out there. Um, If you want a really good, just a really good lightweight adventure, I definitely recommend Agent A. Oh, yes, very good shout, yes. That's a very good little... um, uh, 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 you know, sort of puzzly, spy game. Um, I would also say that uh, I would definitely recommend Overboard. I think that works really well on the Switch as well. And uh, certainly something like... Oh, if you can... Oh, uh, Siberia 1 and Siberia 2. If you can play it... <laughs> I knew I, you were if you can play there. it on with a touchscreen on your Switch, it is genuinely a very good adventure. Well-written story, good adventure. Not great playing with a controller generally, but actually really good on a uh, one of these uh, sort of touchscreen things. Uh, Untitled Goose Games a good one. Yonder, the Cloud Catcher Chronicles is a good one if you just want to listen to some podcasts and uh, have something to do in the background. Ring Fit Adventure, uh, really good for exercise, getting up and fit and doing all that sort of stuff. I've really enjoyed my time with that one so far. I'd also then shout out Celeste. Yeah, uh, 100%. Which is an absolute must-buy must buy banger. Um, and uh, the final three, Windjammers. So tennis. it is a... It's... All right. It's basically like tennis. Finally, you admit it. Finally, after years. Stardew Valley fits on this device like an absolute beauty. Um, yeah. Like an absolute perfect way of playing it. And then finally, Sega's Virtua Racing. Now... The Sega Ages series has been pretty good. There's been some hits and misses. I'm not a huge fan of the OutRun version, but Virtual Racing is a tour de force. It is a brilliant adaptation of an arcade game. Really great for just sitting down, playing for 10, 15 minutes to put in a couple of really good lap times, comparing your scores online, and then ducking back out again. A really great arcade experience and cheap as well. It's like four or five quid. Absolutely well worth the time and time and effort to go and get good at that game very very exciting oh there's so much on here all right okay my final my final suggestions were i've quite i've quite enjoyed this, this we should lovely. do this again for another yeah, for another yeah. console yeah uh my final suggestions would be obviously hades was like the big is still probably the big game that i've still not caught for my switch but it's said to be exemplary i don't don't sleep on the other games made by that studio. So things like Transistor and Bastion. Bastion. Um, they translate really well to the Switch. Again, also, Ori, also any of the games in the Ori series. So Ori and the Will of the Wisps or Ori and the Blind Forest. Mm. They're really good platformers uh, that I um, have played on the Switch. Um, Golf Story is kind of one of the perennial classics on the Switch, which is like a golfing RPG. Um which is exceptionally good fun. Um, Murder by Numbers is a weird um, pit cross um, game where you also solve murders in it. <laughs> um, uh, Wilmot's Warehouse is still one of my favourite sort of chill out and just listen to a podcast game where you essentially are a small cube organising abstract goods in a warehouse and it's kind of like the closest thing I'll ever get to working in Argos and I love it just for just for that basically is both organising and working in Argos which is like 
it's the best. Having lived that yeah. dream, I was it about is to say. You, I remember Pete when you, I remember Pete when you used to work in Argos. Oh, it was exactly like Wilmot's Warehouse. And my final one, which is the one I'm always suggesting all of you to get, all of the time, <laughs> and it's always really cheap and in sales, uh, is a game called Yaku's Island Express, and this is quite a unique experience um, where you play as a character. Uh, which is essentially attached to a ball. And how you navigate all the levels is by basically pinball flippers. And you're on this island and you have to complete these levels and traverse this whole sort of stage and this this island basically by flipping pinball flippers around. And it is exceptionally good. Like it, it sounds like a concept that doesn't work and it's kind of difficult to transpose your head away from a very linear-esque sort of um, pinball table mm. but Yoku's Island Express is one of those little gems that I found on the Switch and really enjoyed it and I think my final 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 recommendation is sign up to DekuDeals.com DekuDeals D-E-K-U Deals.com it's a website that just basically lists every single game that's on sale for the Switch uh, it tells you when it was last on sale it tells you uh, if the current price it's at is a significantly important, so it's therefore like the lowest, or has it been this low before? Mm-hmm. And you can do what I do, which is basically you can listen back to this this episode, tag all of these games onto your wish list, and they send you an email when that game goes on sale. And it just it is it's a really good and efficient way of kind of going. All right, this game's dropped to a fiver. This is the lowest it's ever been. Snap, pick it up. Or, oh, this game is goes on sale every month. I'll wait until then to buy it. Um, I wish this service existed for, you know, the PS Store. Um, I, re- I really do. Or at least a, a service as, as efficient and as clean as Deku Deals. But yeah, I think out of all the games, my recommendation would be the website Deku Deals. That's, that, that's the best place to probably to start with the Switch. So I want to talk about a combination of two different genres, I suppose, or themes that have very different scales. I'm going to be talking about a game called Genesis Noir, which I know, Dan, you've played also. I played it on my Switch. Oh, is this another good game for the Switch? It certainly is, Sam. I played it on uh, my Mac. Yes, that's right. A game that plays on the Mac. No, it didn't. Oh Surely not. You were running. You were. <laughs> you were running Windows on it, right? You were running Windows on it. Absolutely. This was a whole. This was a Mac OS game. You were. You were. Oh you my. were streaming it through Stadia on your Mac. Yeah. <laughs> this is really interesting because this is actually a game where you can pretty much play on everything apart from a PlayStation. Yeah. Really? Straight. Yeah, I think hmm. so. Yeah, I don't think it's on the PlayStation at all. Um, yeah, it came out this year, I think, in March, and it's from. Developers Feral Cat Den and publishers Fellow Traveller. And it's a point and click puzzler, lasts around four to five hours. So perfect at the moment for those who have got loads of time to spare, but they want that sense of having completed something. It's also incredibly light. I think to call it a point and click, yes, you are pointing and clicking in places, but at times for the majority it's it's kind of like an interactive film really which i don't begrudge whatsoever i really enjoyed my time a bit to me it felt i mean to me it felt a bit like more like a an art installation of a game that's how i saw it yeah i suppose there's a little bit of an interactive 
art installation vibe to it, I could say, almost akin to Florence, which I know you and I have both played down as well and really enjoyed. Um, mm. So I'm going to give you two readings of the same narrative, and each one is from a different genre. And so this first one's the micro, and this is where it's you get the noir in Genesis Noir. So it's a very film noir kind of theme. So you, you play as a watchmaker who, depressed after breaking up with a nightclub singer, responds to her cries and races to her apartment to help. There he finds the singer's band member with a gun pointed at her from across the room. And in slow motion, we watch the bullet fire. Mm. That's that's a kind of a film. That's the kind of film noir story. It's very moody. So far, so simple. Lots of stark contrast. It's it's primarily a monochromic game, really. Mm-hmm. Now that's the micro. Let's get to the macro now. Now, in that moment in which the bullet fires across the room towards his former lover, the watchmaker realizes he can slow time to a near standstill. This whole moment, like Bernard. Yep, Bernard's watch, yes. Shout out, a real deep cut there, Sam, that really, Thanks. yeah, that, that ages our listenership for those who get that reference. <laughs> they, they have aged in here <laughs> since CITV in the 90s. Yeah, um, yes. yeah so the bullet, so freezes time. And it, essentially, this, this entire narrative is a metaphor for the Big Bang, with the killer representing energy and the victim who is called Miss Mass. So, you know, energy against mass so our task as the watchmaker is to try and stop this event from occurring by i know what you're thinking yes of course obviously you create a black hole mm-hmm. yeah and that That's, is essentially what you're doing and they were heavily influenced by this fantastic series of short stories by one of my favorite writers italo calvino whose book invisible cities is one of my favorite books of all time this one is cosmic comics and what each story is essentially is it takes a scientific fact so, for example, the moon, once upon a time, used to be closer to the Earth. Once upon a time, matter existed as a single point. And what they do is he takes these scientific facts and he gives them a narrative. So there's a, And, and you, you get that in a kind of a, a very poetic kind of short story, really. And that's what this is. You are learning a lot about quantum physics. You are doing all manner of things. You're scrubbing through the bullet's vapor trail, finding these little small portals that take you into the kind of torrid history of this watchmaker as he you know as he kind of slips into depression at times and his relationship with miss mass but it's told through the prism of the universe's creation and the stages of life on earth so like there's one moment where i'm walking for a giant version of the crime scene i'm walking past a gigantic cigarette butt um i'm spinning the rings of planets if they're as if it's like a record player um, I'm also manually having a hand in evolving early life on Earth. Um, I'm playing improvised jazz across the stars, um, and I'm actually firing up a particle accelerator. All of that, and it's really interesting that, like, for this person, this relationship is as big and as epic a scale as the creation of a universe. And what he's witnessing here is, you know, to create something, you have to destroy something. Energy, you know, energy gets distributed. And is using it's using that theme um, and giving it a narrative, putting it as imagine you know what we have here is this wonderful kind of mix of the Big Sleep and Carl Sagan's Cosmos, or you know you're playing as somebody that is both you know a Humphrey Bogart character but also Brian Cox, and <laughs> it's a really interesting mix. It's got this incredible soundtrack by a London-based band called Skillbard. 
And like there have been genuinely moments in this game which I've gone, this is incredible, this is ridiculous, or that was amazing. Like where I am literally just composing and jamming with jazz across the stars while the Hmm. planets are wheeling by. And it just goes in directions I never really expected. Like shifting from the micro to the macro is just this incredible kind of seesawing, which I think it does really well. Graphically, it's phenomenal. I don't think I've ever taken as many kind of screenshots of a game on my Switch as I have done in other titles, really. Yeah, I think for, for me, that was the, the, the biggest takeaway I had from it was just the music and the visuals are just spectacular. So kind of as, as Chris alluded to, it's very kind of monochrome, very black and white. There are bursts of color every now and again but they're done in such a way that when that burst of color happens it's it's very striking and it's often it's only kind of literally a glimpse or a flash somewhere on the screen it's nothing kind of it's not like a thing where you've got a a a whole area which is colorful it's it's very much like a, a glance but it's it's all like abstract line drawings line art and it's it fits per if you imagine kind of how jazz would look as an image it it hmm. fits so perfectly with, with that and that's why they go so well together and there are a kind of as chris has talked about kind of the visuals it creates at certain times so there might be a moment where kind of you're in some sense of um crisis and on screen you can just see kind of a hundred different versions of yourself stretched out and as you move the cursor the whole image is moving all in sync and moving around and it's doing so many different things that are fascinating. It gives you no instructions whatsoever. Whatsoever. Mm. You have to figure everything out by yourself and you it's purely trial and error. So very, very early on in the game, you find yourself in in the, the, the apartment of, of the protagonist uh, who lives in a clock tower. And again, this is all very abstract kind of designed. And you just start moving the cursor around and you find that certain things, when you move the cursor past them, just by without clicking anything, your cursor interacts and it's maybe knocked something off a shelf. So you knock, you knock a phone off a shelf. So you click on the phone and he goes and picks it up and suddenly the clock face turns into the dial of a kind of a, a rotary phone. Okay, so you keep... And if you look around for long enough, you'll find a phone number and then you put the phone number in and it leads on to a next thing. And as you're putting in numbers and different numbers, the further you go through phone number you're trying to call the whole area where you are is disintegrating and kind of exploding and all this different stuff is happening and you're just doing it from looking around and trying to figure out you can click on lots of different things some things mean something you'll see a poster of your girlfriend who is obviously this kind of jazz uh, singer uh, you've got different things kind of from your history in terms of a watchmaker but that's kind of the joy of it and it takes you th- some really kind of wild places um introduces uh certain different um mechanics in terms of getting rid of in terms of evolving the visuals and being able to move around the world it's never difficult i don't i've never i'm not i've not completed the game none, none of it has found i found difficult it's all fairly kind of simple and easy to maneuver but it's just fascinating to try and pick your way through and figure out different things and when you figured out one thing suddenly oh it's opened up a whole arena elsewhere in the level as well that i can now go in and do stuff it's just it's a very difficult game to explain and describe it kind of it's a game that needs to be experienced to really kind of appreciate it i think i i briefly want to just get busy with the kinesi once more on this on this show 
if you just will indulge me just slightly. Always. Um, that um, the, the, the board game designer who has designed over 700 games, uh, Reiner Knizia, is back. And um, I've just had the pleasure of being able to play two of his latest um, so I thought I'd just I'd just um, bring them, I'd present them <laughs> towards you because I feel like at this point, spoken about the, the, the good doctor uh, quite often enough. And I feel like he has, he brings such a, a standard of quality to his games that it's kind of at this point, it's, I don't think you need like our recommendations no. to play them. I just think that if they sound like things that you may enjoy, then yeah. they're pretty much off the shelf and in your bag, please uh, ring it up. Ding, ding. I actually got one of his, um, he did one with Helvetic. I think it's Kariba. The thing is, you can look down the back of your sofa, there's probably a Rana Knizia game there somewhere. I mean, <laughs> this guy is a machine. So I've been playing two of his new games. First of it, which is actually a re-implementation. Well, they're kind of both sort of re-implementations. One of them is a roll-and-write version of Lost Cities, Ooh. which is, hands down, one of my favourite two-player games, if not one of my favourite games of all time. If you've never played Lost game. Cities before, I really, really recommend it. It's a game about going on different expeditions. What you're doing is you're drawing cards from a deck, and you've got to try and play those cards in ascending order and the more you can complete sort of paths and expeditions the more points you will score and there's been a sort of auction based game version that's been made of this uh, there's been a board game version made of this and none of them have really appealed to me until suddenly mr 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 reiner decided to re-implement a lost cities as a roll and write game hmm. which is probably my favorite genre of game and I was like, yes, please, Cosmos, send me that. So they did. And Lost Cities, a roll and write game, is it's a it's a very sort of stripped down version of Lost Cities in a lot of senses of the word, mainly like in terms of like presence on the table. You don't need as much space to play it. If I was to say one bad thing against Lost Cities is that it is a bit of a table hog, especially when you've got lots of these cards descending from um, this central column of expeditions the roll and write keeps things a lot smaller because you're just rolling dice and you've each got a little pad but you're still going on expeditions and you're still rolling dice and trying to create chains of equal or sequentially higher numbers and you also have to balance that whole risk and reward element that is key to lost cities I think the thing that people love about that game is the idea that they are really holding out for the next card they pick is going to complete a certain chain or is going to complete an expedition. Mm. And here it has that feeling. It condenses that idea of you're rolling a dice and hoping that both the number comes up and also the symbol that you need that matches the expedition that essentially you're writing into. Like that core feeling is really um, sort of harnessed and embellished in this roll and write game. It, it, I guess it's kind of like the Calippo shot of the Calippo world, isn't it? It's kind of like Calippo shot and top. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, do you want that Lost Cities feeling, but you can just sit on a couch and play it? 
and you don't have to worry about putting down cards or putting them together? Do you just want like just to sit down and play it right here, right now? Because this is what the roll and write version does. Like me and my wife played 10 games of this pretty much in a row because it was kind of like that Moorish, that little sort of giving us everything we get from Lost Cities, but in this really nice little neat package. So yeah, that's really good if you're looking for a little small box. Brilliant. And then the other little Knizzy game that we've been getting Benizzy with is... Um... No, never, <laughs> ever say that again. I, I'm quite curious as to how long it took you to think of that. Yeah, right. Um, is um, It's a genuine re-implementation of a game called Time Square. Hmm. And this is called Royal Visit. Okay. And this was lovely uh, provided for us from Coiled Spring on behalf of Yellow. And me and Chris have played this a couple of times. And this has my new favorite board game component, which is a cloth board, mm, 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 mm. which doesn't come with washing instructions. So I am petrified of... Um, you don't want to shrink that getting... board, do you, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to run it through my laminator. Um... <laughs> it's, like, it's, more, it's, it's like a table runner, isn't it? The board. Yeah, it is like a table runner. It's quite satisfying just to kind of like throw it out and, and sort of push it on, on to the table. I, th- I think in games like this, which essentially is a tug of war where you're playing cards down and the card depicts a character and then you move that character depending on the value of the card. So in games like this where it's kind of like Chris moves the king, which is kind of like the winning piece, five to him and then I move him five back, where there's a lot of that sort of frustration, I feel like a game like this sort of hinges on the end game so it doesn't feel like oh you won because essentially you got one more go than I did because you went you went first. Right. So I feel like games like Watergate do this superbly well, where that the tension between the two players is kept at a superbly high level throughout. With Royal Visit, it kind of ebbs and flows a lot. It can can rely on luck in terms of the cards that you are dealt. Because you can, on your turn, you can essentially play any number of cards that matches the same character. So essentially, if you've if you've got lots of king characters, you can move them as much as you can to the value of the cards. It's a slight rub that the king has to always be in between the guards. So you can play a bit of a game where you can essentially, as the other player, move the guards so they're really close to the king, so essentially the king can now not move, or you can move the guards really far away from each other so the king's got lots of space to move in between. There is just enough uh, edge and grit within um, the cards and some of the special things that they can do, which means that what could be a very frustrating tug of war where things are just flowing backwards and forwards backwards and forwards doesn't feel that way and feels tense and feels engaging and enduring as as i think as a sort of way of helping that there is a second way that you can win where there's this little token where moves towards the player if you've just got characters sitting basically in your home section so if you can just get players towards you you can move this token towards your area and it means that there's always something else to be thinking about there's always something to consider it's not just about the king it's not just about where the king is on the board it's what the other characters are doing all the time and i think that is just you know an element of reiner knitzi's great design that he's always 
tends to always show that he's that there are things in his games that always just elevate them a little bit more and Royal Visit is a really pleasant, lovely little tug of war card game. The, the box it comes in is the standard two player box. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really fits. I've got a little, I might post a photo up actually uh, when, when this goes live of my little two player section in my in my board game collection and all of them are exactly the same size i don't know who decided that but it's it's wonderful to have this like completely uniform and standardized two-player section of my collection but royal visit has has slipped right in both figuratively and um literally um into those into uh that collection It, it really is a nice demonstration of how those tug of war games can really work and and be at their best that was it that was staying in with myself sam turner chris darby was there peter Whittington also and daniel frost thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the podcast this is being released after the uk games expo hopefully we may have seen you there we may have handed you a sticker or giving you a nice sort of thumbs up at a safe social distance with our nice new t-shirts on. If we did, and if you've got one of our stickers, then share share that online. We'd love to see where you're putting those things. Uh, Instagram, Staying In Pod, Twitter, also Staying In Pod, and also Facebook as well. Our email address, if you want to uh, get a question to us, just like we had on this episode, is Staying In pod at gmail.com we really actually did really enjoy answering that question on the switches it's sometimes we usually just like to just talk about one thing on the show and really concentrate on it and and drill down on it so it's really good just to have be able to throw a ton of games um, at you that we kind of personally uh, recommend so if you've just picked up a console for the first time or you're just trying to wade your way through the ps store or or steam or something like that or maybe you're just finding yourself in the world of films or books or music or board games for the first time and you're looking for a recommendation of want to introduce to your family or something to take away on holiday with you or a certain genre that you didn't like before but now it's starting to get into and you'd like a bit of help i guess from us four idiots then we'd really like to be involved in that discussion if we can so just let us know on instagram or twitter or facebook you can send us dms and pms and emails and all that kind of stuff we'd um we will try and help uh if we can um so i think i think um yeah i think that's kind of um that's kind of it uh for this show we'll be back in a couple of weeks time as usual i hope you're staying safe and most importantly i hope that you're doing everything that you need to feel comfortable at the moment and um, doing everything you can to reduce anxiety and just feel safe going about and doing your normal business that's that's really really important if you're looking for a distraction or if you're looking something to put a bit of your energy into um, that's what we hope to do here on the staying in podcast so hopefully we've given you a recommendation or food for thought about something uh, that might help take your mind off everything that's going on. Remember, we've got curated pages on Steam and BoardGameGeek. If you've missed anything, you can always go back into our back catalogue to hear previous episodes, if you so wish. But 
We're also all on social media, as previously mentioned, and you can send us a question or just say hello at any time. We will get back to you because it's we're nice like that. Anyway, do take care. All the best. Until next time, bye-bye.